I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm in Carter. I run hip hop by the numbers on Twitter. I use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I'm director of the fifth film. Well, I highlight the fifth film hip hop, which is knowledge. What is the look of? It got something to do with um, being a man handling your biz. What love got to do with it? Ask Benny. It's all bullshit. Sting and it. I always wonder what you're going to come in here with. I'm always curious. You know what love is. Hi, Ben. <laughs> How's your week been? What have you listened to this week? I low-key just had a brain fart right there. I was just like, what do I do again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I literally digged this up oh, right before gosh. the pod. I'm like, we're very good podcasters. Charlie's like, I'll speak for yourself. And then he has a little bit of a... Uh, Hello. I, 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 I'm a double agent on that front bro. I was like you know I'm joking but I'm not uh, I can, a thousand episodes deep razzled R- rumbled um, well this week I started with Adele's new album 30 now oh, yes yeah like I think we Put should always me. be excited about drops like this because I get excited to just witness a genius like seeing what they're going to do. And I like going into these projects with skepticism because I think it makes the triumphs even more surprising and rewarding. And Adele triumphs. Like, I've been quick to say that she's more of a singles artist in previous years. Um, but I think 30 was the first time. <laughs> That's a hot take. Is it? I, I feel like, I feel like, because Adele wasn't like on streaming for like a good while or downloads. I think it was digital downloads for a while. Um, that was kind of the thing, wasn't it? It's like so she's in, made her seem like an albumized, but I think it seemed like a hot take. I think that the singles are just so like world ending, like rolling in the deep. Yeah. Someone like you, hello, like they're just at I a level. Drop. They're yeah. anthems. They're like like timeless anthems. So you kind of think, well, you know, does she have it in her for a full album? I don't think she makes full albums worth of anthems. I think she makes great albums. But that's why I was curious to see what would happen here. Because I didn't think the first single was like that anthem level. And I think that like lyrically and conceptually on this record, she remains a cut above most, most, like almost everyone. She delivers like deeply delicate pieces of wisdom from her 30 years on earth. You know, she delivers it via this like really intense emotion. There are numerous songs on here detailing self-doubt, paranoia, anxiety, depression. She speaks about her life as a mother. Uh, I think the only bad song is Can I Get It, which is pretty close to woeful. That's yes, an Ed can. That's an Ed Sheeran paint by numbers type <laughs> song. And you know what? You know what? I thought she was making fun of Ed Sheeran. Like when I'm first listening to it, because I keep waiting for her to like open her pipes up and just like, just, you know what she's like, you know what, Del is just like an insane singer. I'm waiting for it and it never comes. And I'm like, wait, what? You had the opportunity to just skate on every pop star here, but you made like a pop song. But, you know, I think the most stunning song is uh, To Be Loved. Like if you're genuinely curious about what a top tier vocal performance is, they don't come much better than that. Like, my sister's an opera singer, okay? So I grew up around 
very, very good singers. And there's a lot of singers that we like contemporarily say are good. They're not good. They're not good. They just belt. They just like screech or scream or they sing really loud. Adele is wow. Like fucking very, very special. Like to be loved is artisan. You know, that's insane. I think the project is beautiful. I was with, I was in tears after two songs. Like, and, and I was already more knowledgeable by the end of the album than I was at the start. It's just, it's a beautiful record. Um, so shout out to Adele. Uh, Angel Hayes, Go with the one, Gun. One thing before you continue. One thing before you continue. Go ahead. Uh, someone, someone, <coughs> someone put on Twitter the reason why Adele uh, sings such sad songs is because she's a Tottenham fan. Continue on. I mean, I hope that's not foreshadowing because I haven't seen a game yet. So, look, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> that shit will break your spirit on a deep level and i feel that in adele so that could very well be that's a funny tweet man obviously that tweet um angel hayes girl with a gun uh i think this album is uh ep sorry is really brilliant and that makes me feel a bit sad because it's brilliant because we know angel hayes is fucking brilliant like she's stacked full of unrealized talent and potential and she's hurt by a record industry who didn't give a fuck flytrap is devastating like she skates effortlessly over epic production at double time. It's really brilliant. The altar is a slow R&B burn. Uh, Ministry is a real spacey ethereal number. It sounds a bit like FKA Twigs. Uh, Bullet is upbeat pop number. Girl with a Gun is like a throwback to those emotional bar fests over uplifting production that she had early in her career. It ticks every mm. single Angel Hayes box. And you can see she has plenty of size to her artistry, which is why it sucks to me because... I could see her dropping brilliant pieces of art in all of these different lanes, but we didn't get them because of what happened. And if you're curious as to what happened, it's episode 122, 32 minutes and 17 seconds in. That's when we discussed it. So, yeah, man, I, go listen to that. It's really good. The Brew soundtrack, um, I like it, but I didn't like everything on here. I think the Young M.A. song is fire. Uh, we know what she can do when she's given scope to get deep and existential. The Cardi song is amazing. Uh, Cardi just rinsing some brilliant production. Sweetie's song is great. Lado's song is great. I didn't really like the Rhapsody song. Uh, I I don't know why. Maybe I think that... I think Rap's performance is fine. Maybe it was a production. Maybe I need to listen to it more. I think Erica Banks' song is great. The Dream Doll song, the Baby Tate song, the Flo Millie songs aren't great. I do like the fact it doesn't feel super preachy within the concept. You know, some of these soundtracks can so staunchly stick to the theme that it sounds farcical outside the movie but i didn't feel like that was the case here if anything it was the production that let it down i think outside the cardi song uh katrinata dropped a project and got mac homie rapping on a dance beat so that's an automatic w <laughs> that's freaking crazy um there's only three tracks that but like wow uh snoop yeah. dog snoop dog presents the algorithm this is not what i expected I didn't expect to hear Meth and Redman over that beat. I think that's jarring that I had to get used to because Dave East over that G-Funk bounce was really weird, but his flow is insane. Like, if if you don't listen to anything else this week, go listen to Dave East floating over some G-Funk. It's just amazing. Um, having YK Osiris on a song was pointless. Uh, I didn't like the Mount Westmore with Snoop, Cube, 40, and Too Short because... I'm so apprehensive about that project, by the way. Sorry, Prince. About Mount Westmore? Just in general, because I assume they haven't, like, an album come in, right, as a foursome, but it's just, uh, everything I hear, I'm just like, mm, look, no, man. 
This is what I think. I think if Ice Cube took hold in the production meeting, we could have gotten something really insane over hard edge production. And then Too Short could have come in at the end with something lewd. But we all got lewdness Bitch. from all of them. Like, I don't, we don't need the lewdness from all four of them. You know, I know that Snoop's 50 and he's still talking about this stuff. That's cool. But like, I don't know, man. Like, I... I agree with you in the sense of like I, I need to see the content change up a little bit, um, but it's a good album. It's algorithm is is decent. It's a good listen. And then finally, uh, Backward Sweetie's album, amazing, amazing. She has 127 monthly Spotify listeners, which is actually up about 40 since she dropped Jeez. this project. But like I tell you this right now, she's the best rapper you're gonna find under 150 listeners. Like. What a stunning album. Transitioning from Coffee to Black Betty is fucking fire. The beat mm-hmm. is a wild rock concoction that sounds like sirens. And Backward Sweetie is just spinning venom. And the next track is really rock influenced too. And from there, it just oscillates beautifully. Like, Garvey is a 90s beat. God Particle is this R&B groove. Uh, Build or Destroy has like that Just Blaze epic level feel. And Backward Sweetie packs so many gems into each verse. It's impossible to give credit to one bar and not like 700 others. I don't want to dive too deeply into it because I think the joy of discovery on here is really important. I'll just say, go listen to it. And I I just don't... Everyone I've put onto this and like when I posted it up on... uh, hip-hop numbers on ig the other day like i got like five dms from people who already knew about her like oh my god backward sweetie i'm like fuck man or all 127 of her <laughs> listeners gonna hit me like she should have 10 times that it's, it's crazy but uh, hopefully uh-huh. people will start to, to catch on to that so that was me this week charlie what about yourself yeah so i go into four projects and a couple of live shows uh Ooh, well, yeah, a I live show I, I, missed, I, missed, I missed i missed i missed one <laughs> <laughs> but that might be that might be a line though. Who knows? Um, uh, so I started off with Havia Mighty, Havia, Havia Mighty, uh, Stock Exchange uh, from Canada. Um, yeah, I've I've um, I've uh, I forgot how I clocked this. I think it was like find that um, hip hop golden age uh, uh, top like hundred albums by females, and uh, she had the one of those on there. Um, and then I realised she dropped Stock Exchange. So I was just That's like, a oh, great there list you go, fair too. enough. That was a great. Yeah, list. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a yeah, solid listen. Um I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't I came in just knowing nothing. Um and uh you know, some some good stuff on here. I'm liking the I like the features coming through, uh especially the beginning and end. Um the last two tracks kinda just get a bit uh I think I think it's the last two track anyway. Actually and Tesla, yeah, I don't really like the hooks of that. Um but yeah, apart, apart from that, I like Flamenco, I love the uh I just love the uh the Latin um you know just elements in that um it's real just real vibey um that's just some good stuff on here all, all around um I, I just find it i find it interesting because i feel like because it's because she is based in canada um it kind of it kind of makes me think about is this what canada's producing these days that's not that's not you know um drake or the weekend or I don't know, AA Glam, for example, right? Is this what, is this, because I feel like she's, you know, given like a, given like a smorgasbord of what Toronto music or, or, or Canada music, I don't know if she's based in Toronto or anything. Um, I just assume Toronto. <laughs> so that's a bit uh, uh, sideways of me. But um, yeah, you know, I just, I feel like she's, because there's so many different vibes going on here and different elements. 
um, yeah, Toronto-based. Uh, yeah, I was correct. Um, I feel like she's given like a taste of what Toronto has to offer in plenty of other wa- in plenty of ways, and I kind of like that. So um, I'm I'm here for that. Solid album. Um, Angel Hayes, Girl with a Gun. Um, no kind of echoing your sentiments. Um, I feel like there's so much variety here in just a short amount of time. Um, you just get so much. Uh, it, it, she has like so many types of voices. Um, like she has just that hard nosed rap voice. She has that singing voice. She has the kind of like a R and B, modern R and B kind of voice going on. She has so many types uh, going down there just in this short amount of time, and that just uh, that that's the that's the thing that came like I, I came a. I came um, out of, uh, of that EP with um, just the absolute variety and the versatility she comes through uh, with all of her work is um, is crazy yet yeah, bittersweet as you uh, as you know it. Uh, Backward sweet uh, Christina Chante. Um, yeah, I, I was the I was. <laughs> he said her numbers have gone up for since uh, since then. I am one of those because mm-hmm. um, yeah, this album I love this album to death. This is great. Um, maybe on the shortlist. Maybe mm-hmm. on the shortlist. Who knows? Um, it's definitely in, it's definitely in the running. Um, it's this a real just late entry, um, you know, in the year, and uh, it just comes through in like the essence of like a of a Georgia Ann Muldrow. Um, but she also has like her own just uh, it's just her own type of fire um, coming through here. You know, it's very political. It's very um, it, it's just it's just very visceral. Um, I love the rock elements that you you, you mentioned in, earlier on uh, earlier in the album. Um, but the deeper it goes, just the more open it gets and uh, i love that it just it just um it kind of starts in a simple place and then uh with like with something like coffee and then just you know slowly spreads out further and further and just uh yeah it just it just gives beautiful work um throughout uh makaya mccraven deciphering the message i've been looking forward to this one for a minute uh blue note records um i love this album's great Solid listen, just absolutely beautiful listen. I, I expect nonetheless from Makai McRaven. Um, you know, he has this, just this. He he he's firmly a jazz artist, right? Firmly a jazz artist, right? As this says, and um, there's great people on here with him: uh, Jeff Parker, Joel Ross, to name a couple. Um, but it, it's the fact that the reason I think the reason why I draw to the draw to Makai McRaven so much is because he has some. He he adds some hip hop in all of it. He just laces it with some hip hop. Like you know, when you if you listen to something like Black Rhythm Happening, you can't listen to that and not imagine that easily just being sampled in some fashion uh, and taken somewhere else by like a P Rock or something. Um, there's another track I forget which one it is. It might be Monaco, um, where there was a there was a drum loop in there and it just seemed so hip-hop to me but everything else was just everything else was jazz right you have these you have these guitars you have these strings going through um and the horns are beautiful throughout autumn in new york is probably my favorite track out of this um it's just it's perfect it's perfect in just the title of it autumn in new york is the, the autumnal feeling it gives you is just um it's just wonderful and uh, i was at that point in time, I was walking the dog, like kicking through brown leaves on the floor. 
it was perfect imagery for me and uh i love the album cover as well i feel like i want to change my what's good uh um cover art just just in that fashion i don't know why i just have the urge to suddenly do that and just like play around on canva may do may not may not who knows but (laughs) regardless of that (laughs) and also i saw uh, andy joseph uh, live at king's place um i remember you know listening to his his album uh and i need to i need to look it up pretty (laughs) pretty quickly because it's a very it's a long album name but it's a perfect album name and I want to get it uh, right because it's, it's amazing. But yeah, I saw him live um, a part of a uh, part of the London Jazz Festival. Um, I really it's one it's it's one of those shows that really just um, it makes you it makes you uh, it brings you back to the fir- the listening of the album that you listen that you, that you know that he's kind of you know doing the show about, um, and you just gain a new depth for it. Um, you know, when listening to Kamal when he did that live was just absolutely it just shook me. It it really did shake the shit out of me. It was crazy. Um and uh, the rest of the band themselves were just like absolute top of their game, absolutely perfect. Um, really good audience. Um the dude is knowledgeable as shit, man. Like the knowledge he was dropping in between tracks was crazy. Um just little just names here and there. Um he's Trinidadian. Um, oh, here we go. The name: uh, the rich are only defeated when running for their lives. I mean, it's fucking perfect. Um, and apparently that's based on a CLR James uh, quote, um, which is just even more perfect. And it just, it's just one of those times where <clears throat> you you come into it, and uh, you know he's dropping knowledge, he's telling stories in between, and you just like and you and you're just thinking, I know nothing. <laughs> it's just like, I still don't know as much as I want to yet. You know, and uh, it's just, it just, it gives, personally, it gives me that fire just to continue on um, in not just the musical journey, but the knowledge journey as well. And uh, so I thank Andy Joseph a lot for that. And I got some really fucking good photos from that. Like there's one black and white one I, I got, uh, I got going, oh, here, here, love that photo. Uh, one of my best uh, so far, personally, uh, uh, subjectively. But anyway. We should leave it there and top on to our topic for this episode, which is all about Slum Village. Um, a fascinating group in just a lot of ways. It gives me far side vibes um, in in overall essence. Now that I've listened to all the work um, just off the bat, um, I really got far side vibes um, in just a uh, you know group construction and just how you know how it basically broke up in that fashion. But also obviously tribe. You know, we're go- I'm I'm sure you know Ben's gonna mention tribe a lot. Q-tip especially. Um, for <laughs> it's mm-hmm. one of those episodes where we're just uh, Q-tips just gonna be there, just just chilling, just mm-hmm. <laughs> just there in the there in the ether, just chilling in the background as always uh, with most of these people. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, we're obviously gonna get references to that. But um, yeah, it's, it's gonna be interesting trying to figure out um, and how we're just gonna end this, I guess, and how we're gonna go through it. Um, in how Slum Village are a constructed, and I want to ask, I want to ask, I want to ask that question that I asked for about AZ. Um, and I just noticed I say AZ. We all say AZ, but it's AZ. But you know, that's just, is it? I mean, I say British is said in it, but Americans say Z in it. So yeah, you just you just go by the Americanisms. But I just realised it's this said, but I'm not going to say AZ because that just sounds weird to me i had to say z because it's american it's az in it so anyway um 
but yeah, I want to ask that question that, I, but I want to switch it. Uh, I want to switch it a little bit, um, a little bit towards Slum Village. So I forgot exactly why I, why I asked um, how I worded it, um, but basically it was just like, do people like AZ just because he has a classic album and that one song off the Nas off Elmac? Um, and you know, was it a more cynical way of thinking? But for this one, it's more about. Is do people just like Slum Village because Jay Diller was in it, and because they love Jay Diller, they also love Slum Village, or do they actually like Slum Village? You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, so I, f- I feel like I have a personal answer to that. Um, for most people, I f- I feel like most people do it because it's in Diller's universe, um, and they just you know listen to Fantastic and listen to you know Look of Love and Fall in Love and get into that. Um, but and maybe you know players, but apart from that, I don't think people listen to Slum Village that heavy. But I'm sure there's obviously Slum Village fans that actually like Slum Village in every iteration, and uh, we're going to get into those iterations, of course. So, uh, but I said, Ben, what have you got for us today? That's a great question, actually, and it kind of underpins a lot of um, the kind of message I want to get through in this message in this in this episode. Uh, so they're from Detroit, and they've had a rolling roster. <laughs> Which includes uh, T3, J Diller, Barton, Elzai, Illij, and Young RJ. Now, the first and last of those names, T3 and Young RJ, are the only current members. Now, Barton, T3, and J Diller grew up in Covent Garden. Uh, despite being in close proximity to one another, they actually didn't meet until high school. And T3 told Q Point, Covent Gardens is big enough where it's not like the streets are super close together. Diller was a seven minute walk from my house. Barton's house was even further, another 10 minute walk. So it wasn't like we were super close, but we were close enough. Now, T3 was a driving force behind a group, and he's remained a strong focal point throughout tumultuous lineup changes. He tells the story of when Jay Diller left the group, and Diller actually put him in charge, saying, you got this, to which the T3 told an interviewer, I didn't really want it, but I did it. Now, we know the we know the Diller backstory, uh, episode 93 of this very podcast, if you're interested in a much more in-depth look. Um, Barton is a third founding member and he tragically passed away in 2009. Um, we'll speak about that. But it wasn't initially T3, Barton, and Jay Diller. It was T3 and Wajid, who is now known as Jido, a producer from Detroit, who had gone on to form uh, Platinum Pied Pipers and Tiny Hearts. Now, Jido introduced T3 to Barton and they recorded Tales from the East Side, which was their only song with that trio. Now, YG, a.k.a. Jido, he's now known as Jido, would return in later albums. But the trio actually turned to five when uh, QD and J Dilla joined. And it was Jido who introduced T3 to Dilla. And the article on Q Point, um, it really builds the suspense really well. It says, the first encounter was brief, a few minutes spent in a hot attic. Their host, a kid named James Yauncey, Yancey, sorry, a.k.a. J.D. or J. Diller, took out a small grade drum machine, the first T3 he had ever seen, and started playing them some instrumentals. I just knew when I heard it he had some joints, T3 remembers. He was from our neighborhood, and we were wondering if there was a guy this good that we didn't even know about. We couldn't believe there was someone making something like this here. And the five of them were a group, and I can't pronounce the name. I have no idea how to pronounce it, so I'm not going to attempt to. But Slum Village is where <laughs> type, Jay... Type, type it to me. Type it to me. I want to see I'll send it to you when, you, when you're talking. But uh, okay. some, some villages where Jay Diller began, and they were inspired by native tongues. And they actually gave up the more hardcore, aggressive style they were doing at first and began experimenting 
Uh, the name came next and T3 said we wanted a name that could describe where we came from. Because we were from Detroit, we felt like we had our own community within the community, which is why we called it Slum Village. That's the whole thing. We found each other doing music in Conant Gardens and not a lot of people are doing what we're doing. We made our own community. So the group went through a lot of growing pains. Uh, Barton was kicked out for selling drugs early and one of their very first songs, The Man, was dedicated to the impact of losing him and the importance of taking responsibility. He didn't leave for long uh, and by the time he was black, Slum Village was being recognized by RJ Rice, very important part of this story. He's a local artist who had done pretty well in the 1980s with his group RJ's latest arrival and he wanted to sign Slum Village uh, but it never really came to fruition in the way that they wanted it to come to fruition. Now, you can never unlink Jay Diller and Slum Village, and you can never really unlink someone from Jay Diller if they had a close connection to him. Uh, and so I think the direction of this piece I want to focus on, similar to what Charlie said, what Slum Village meant for Jay Diller and Detroit. Like, was it merely a glorified jam band for Jay Diller? And if so, how could it survive so strongly after Diller left? So therefore, was it its own entity and not reliant on the success of Jay Diller to launch it? But that's not true either, because Diller's early success dragged Slum Village along in its wake. And if that imagery is a little crude, like, you know, dragging along in his wake, I think the, the facts are pretty clear because Jay Diller knew Joseph Fiddler, a member of George Clinton's traveling 1994 Lollapalooza tour. Now, Fiddler helped teach Jay Diller how to use an MPC-60 when Diller was a kid. And during a long tour bus ride with Tribe Called Quest, Fiddler played Tribe some Diller. And this is how Q-Tip and Ali completed the trio, their, their production trio that Diller was part of. The production force behind a lot of Tribe's music. And Slum Village was spinning its wheels at this point, but Jay Diller was like hitching his wagon to the very stars that they were modeling their sound on. They wanted to sound like Tribe. They wanted to sound like Native Tongues. Jay Diller was the one who got in with that. And so we get this fractured view of Slum Village where T3 and Barton were kind of doing their own thing. They were spending a lot of time at St. Andrews, which if you know anything about Eminem's backstory, and I find it a bit serendipitous or maybe just an obvious progression on from our conversation last week. Like maybe when we <laughs> thought we were going to do an Eminem retrospective, we're like, uh -huh. oh, we ended up in his city anyway. So St. Yeah. Andrew's Hall, a.k.a. The Shelter, is a legendary venue. It's one of the first places a very young Eminem performed live. And T3 said they would see Eminem in some of his legendary battles in Detroit. But T3 told an interviewer that they were less about battling and more about creating songs and playing them live to see how the crowd reacted. And he told Q Point, that's how we build our audience base. We would try and have something new every week. So Dilla was out of here by this point. Like Dilla was like working with Fat Cat, Five Elements, Tribe, Buster... And that convinced T3 and Barton to lock in with Dilla. And so they they basically brought him, when he came back, they created Fantastic Volume 1 in just one week during marathon sessions in Dilla's basement. And they pressed the tape up, sold it out of the trunk, selling their first 300 copies rapidly. Q-Tip was their champion. He was telling everyone in the industry about Slum Village. And this is the thing, once again, it's impossible to extract the solo success of Jay Dilla from the success of Slum Village because within two years, two years of hard grind, they were playing sold-out shows in the US and Europe, opening up for Tribe's Farewell Tour, and they were still unsigned at that point. And Volume 1 is their debut album, but it was never officially released until 06. And so I think it's a fucking fascinating, so fascinating, the Dilla Slum Village. Like, did they exist separately from Dilla? 
But yeah, man, then we get their their first album, Fantastic Volume 1. Yeah, so um, I want to uh, clump this into 1 and 2 um, because I feel... I. I... I, I you know I listened to this to the first um I I listened to uh volume two first um just because it was on Spotify and I was like yeah you know I just I just had the ability to do so at that point um but then I got to volume one uh, later on uh, a few days after um after getting into everything else actually so I went I went <laughs> I kind of started volume two and then went all the way back to volume one to finish um and it feels it feels weird because the way you word um you know the the way they made volume one in a week just marathon sessions uh, bro it i i don't i don't know man it feels the whole album itself feels and I, i'm not sure if it's the fact that you know the fact that it ain't on uh uh well ain't entirely on uh streaming or just um the fact that i heard it on youtube whatever it comes off so mixtapey, um, and you know I kind of feel like it is. Um, I would go, I may stretch a little bit further, and you know, utter the word demo. Um, it kind so. of feels like that. It, it, fe- it feels like that to me. Um, you know, if because <sighs> listening to Fantastic Volume Two just seemed, even though it has the, um, I guess the freewheeling kind of just like. Uh, essence the um i get i get that that point jay diller was um it just feels a bit more polished i guess it, it just feels a bit more polished from the first from the uh, volume one um while i don't mind volume one itself um i you know look at loves obviously on here uh i i like five ella with the with the five elements on there as you mentioned uh i love how they split up pregnant so uh, track ten, pregnant, obviously is T three, and then pregnant on nineteen is Barton. I I, I kind of like that. I kind of wish people did that more often, um, of just like splitting a song, but just like put the verses in there, uh, in different places. I kind of I, I don't know. It's interesting. It's it's, it's different. Um, the beat keep it on. It's a classic one as well. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, you know, look, I love remix uh, the twenty three. It's just like a lot of like remixes, and uh, I guess it's because everything's there's so there's twenty four tracks here technically, but um, a lot of these are very short. Like I don't know, is a minute, uh, you know, pregnant's a minute seventeen, and then a minute again. Uh, players is uh, you know, that's a great track, and that's three minutes. Um. Everything just comes off very, yeah, very, very speedy. Apart from like the, a lot of them don't stay, uh, stay there. Welcome, um, and then you get volume two in difference with that, um, and I don't know, you know, it's twenty one tracks. I guess it's you know it's there, but um, I guess it's because of the features on top of it. You know, you got Q Tip on hold tight, D'Angelo on tell me. Uh, Buster on what it's all, what it's all about is great. Love that track. Um, not into fourth and back uh, that that hard, but um, you know it's cool. It's there. Uh, Falling in love is obviously here. Oh yeah, get this money. Hey hey hey, get this money. Gotta get paid. It's I love that track. Uh, Once upon a time with Pete Rock's cool. Thelonious with Common banger. Um, not a fan of two you for you. Um, and uh, as an overall point. I, I, I don't know why this is so... 
it's so disarming. It's so disarming listening to these guys and listen to and whenever I listen to Jay Diller, like remember when we did that Jay Diller episode, a, th- a thing that came across a lot uh, when we were listening to it is how surprised we were that you know, damn Jay Diller talks about getting bitches a lot. <laughs> like just, like he's, he 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 talks about women a lot, uh, you know, and stuff like that. And some fish, you know, they, they, they hop on that train, like, a lot as well. Especially on these particular albums. Um, it's, it's very surprising. I, but it shouldn't be surprising, right? But because you listen... Because most people... Uh, most people's gateway into something like Slum Village, and for Jada especially, is the, is the beats themselves. And you listen to the beats, and you listen to the people on said beats. You know, you listen to, like, a, you know, So Far To Go, and it's, like, common just, like fucking sexing you up on the mic and then D'Angelo in the background like shit like that that just comes across as his peak Jay Diller for me but then when you actually listen to a Jay Diller track go listen to Welcome to Detroit <laughs> bro he's just talking he's just talking rap shit like he's just talking just the most basic rap shit to be honest um but yeah even in something like uh even in something like uh Fall in Love or the uh or the you know the most popular track um you know look of love you know it's kind of if you actually read the lyrics like you know it's it's, it's not you know they're just they're just, they're just, they're just uh, where, where, where is this right here there we go um there you go uh, let me tell you about a bitch named the woman's uh, looks so good she make you masturbate come into my life let me show you how i operate my name is russell but you could call me a gigolo my teacher name is yup yup you know how we roll I had to do a lot. Of, uh, I had a lot of shit to do back in the astral. It's just, it's just. I don't know. I don't know. It's so disarming um, of how you know we listen to these tracks and we don't even get that um, that essence of just like these guys are just talking about women a lot. <laughs> but for some reason, we just fuck with it because the beats are so like calm and chill and you know very, you know, just just that. You know, little jazz elements there, you know what I mean, stuff like that. But it's just calm beats. It's so weird. It's so disarming. Um, and I feel like that's on us, I guess, to kind of get out of that. But because it's not like... Because it doesn't have a trap beat over it, um, it doesn't sound like it's literally just about women, as most hip-hop is. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird paradox, I guess, in that, in that fashion. I mean, do we fuck with it? Like, I don't necessarily. No, no, fuck no. I'm with not saying. I'm not saying whether it's like you know great or not. I'm not okay. saying whether we accept it or not. Um, you know, we've talked about that before. You know, misogyny hip hop, like it's it's prevalent, right? I'm just saying it. We because it's on like a super chill beat. You listen to the, you listen to the look of love and that beat. That dum 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 dum. It's it's smooth. It's smooth, but like <laughs> then they just talk about women, but you don't actually clock it like that but when you listen to something like juicy j it's overt it's in your face like he's taught you know what he's talking about but you don't actually and maybe that's that's maybe it's just how i listen i'm not sure um but yeah it just it just feels disarming to me sometimes i mean i hate like i I can't stand some of these songs i can't stand some of the lyrics i'm just like which one is which one's the the clip one where's where's that one oh don't even (laughs) I want your clip so special. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, need, what? I, I need to find it. What are they... <laughs> that, shit, that shit jarred me to he- high heaven. I was just like, oh, what? <laughs> I had to go back. I was like, no way you said that. 
You said that with full chest. Some of these lyrics are just I like. I swear you said like I want your clear. I'm just like what? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I want your clit. Yeah, you go to we... you for you. That's there we go. That's that's. Uh, is it? Uh, I think it's to you for you. But um, yeah, let me let me find it. Continue on. What, what are we? Twelve years old? Like. <laughs> I I mean yeah exactly like it's, it's like here we go yeah I want your clit in a special way a special way a special, a special way, way. in a special, a special way. way not a not a, a regular way. way a special, a special unique special. way. <laughs> you be on my Disney do that dance trick. <laughs> um, what? Well, look, I'll talk about the, the the albums just in the overall scope because. The first album was entirely independent and um, it basically blew them up. You know, it, it was bootlegged. Uh, they were able to tour comfortably off the back of the record in Europe, um, which opens up a whole other conversation I would love to chat about one day, but I think that's a biased topic. But uh, Dilla We Knew was everywhere by 96. He was on the Far Side album, uh, Lab Cab in California. He was working with Keith Murray, with Tribe, Buster Rhyme, Skills, Dila. Uh, and he told Rhyme in 2003, I used to go out of town a whole lot, so when I came back to the D for a while, people were talking about, let's put something out, let's do something. So in not even more than two days, they came over and laid all the vocals to no beats, just a metronome click. After that, I made some joints for two or three days. Everybody was tired, about to pass out. On the fifth day, we went to Kinko's. It was supposed to be cassette only, something to get a type of buzz. Now, um... This quote in an article by Gino Sorcinelli fascinated me. It comes from Frank and Dank, and he told Real Detroit in 2006, of everyone that Dilla worked with in the neighborhood, Slum Village was the front runner. That was Dilla's priority. Uh, so, you know, when quizzed about Dilla's process, T3 has repeatedly said he only stopped working to party and floss, and that was only for a short period of his, time, of his life. Outside of that, he literally just worked. He just kept working. And Fantastic Volume 1 is super rough. It's loose. uh, And it's a raw expression of what it seems like Detroit sounded like back then. You know, it was born of those live performances and live audiences that T3 and Barton had been exposing their rhymes to at St. Andrews for years. The fact that it wasn't polished at all, and the fact that one of the greatest, if not the greatest producer of all time was behind the boards, gives the record, like, a weird feel you know the beats are just like bro from the opening sample you're just drawn into this beautiful soundscape that dilla creates it's an amazing record you know and this album to me is just jay dilla straight fucking flexing for like 46 minutes and 33 seconds like just like he's just flexing it doesn't surprise me one bit that copies of this cassette you know they sell for $130 because this is art this is easily I'm not going to say it's their best project but it's easily their most iconic project and it just feels it feels special you know and uh, I don't think like everything sounds raw except J. Dill's production which sounds crisp and that's the interesting thing like he did it in a couple of days and he's a wizard and I think from volume one and we'll get into volume two right now we're starting to see a pattern emerge with the importance of Slum Village to Dilla because we know Dilla's importance to Slum Village, but it's not a one-way street. And with Volume 2, um, you know, they just put out a classic and they were being courted by record labels. Universal via Def Jam was on the phone, but they ended up signing to A&M Records and T3 claims they were the first rap act from Detroit to get signed to a major label and he might be right. 
Um, awesome Dre and the Hardcore Committee was signed a priority in 1989, but priority was indie until 98. When EMI bought them, Detroit's most wanted signed with the label in the 80s, but it wasn't a major. They were apparently the first Detroit rap act to get nationwide distribution. Uh, first down was a duo of Jay Diller and Fat Cat, and they signed a payday. A lot of people classed that as the first Detroit rap act to sign to a major. But Payday was not a major record label, so T3 could be 1,000% right. And for Fantastic Volume 2, they remained in Detroit, but they flew in Common, Corrupt, Quest, uh, Q-Tip, Erica Badu, Busta Rhymes, Pete Rock, D'Angelo. And T3 said, everybody wanted to be part of the album. That's why we had so many features. Busta came in from New York. Pete Rock came to Conant Gardens to do his song. He came down and played beats and loaded up his SP-1200. And this right here is the terminal quote. This is the terminal quote from T3. We wanted to do a record that would get more play, so we always felt that female-friendly records were the first move for us. And this was the direction of SV albums. They went into this sex realm. There's even a project on Spotify named Sex from the group. Sorry, that's female-friendly. Allegedly. That's what I don't get. That's what I don't get. What? What? (sighs) No, fam. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and this is interesting. This is this is a perfect point. I, I, I'll say this real quick. I remember seeing SV Live, right? I saw SV Live um, a few years ago um, in... Um, oh, what's, the, what's the place in King's Cross? Is it Scala? Somewhere in... It's a place in King's Cross, like five minutes away. Um, and I saw it with um, I saw it with a girl and uh, another guy. Uh, and she basically invite uh, i forgot who invited who but um yeah she she was like basically the one that like you know wanted to go and at that point i was like, i knew of some village obviously um you know i've heard this i heard the songs but you know i didn't hear everything um so yeah that's just fascinating how that works because i know there are fan there are female fans of sv and and you know we could say this about you know every other rapper but like yeah it's just funny how that works and how, and how that's how that quite even comes across in 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 the thought process i'm in in the thought space i'm in right now it's just like uh, is it though <laughs> yeah no okay. i mean it's not <laughs> like maybe like does does women do we, women women females in the females in the room females in the room do you do you like a guy saying i want your clit in a special way let us know at at fifth element uk underscore uk at hip-hop numbers let us know <laughs> yeah let us yeah i guess i mean you can <laughs> yeah but like look it's an interesting album because it was finished in 98, but it was contracted to A&M who had just had issues with Corrupt's debut album, which actually really did poorly. So it sat on the shelf and then AMM folded. So SV released their second album independently under RJ Rice's label, Barack. Barack? Barack? Um, so yeah, T3 told Qpoint the huge Barack. misstep on the album wasn't actually theirs, but it was Q-Tips. And he guessed it on Hold Tight. And he said he was going to pass the Tribe torch to SV. You know, Tribe having broken up two years prior. Critics Mm. were not impressed with this. And T3 actually said it made that bar made it difficult for them. This is the album that convinced Dilla to leave the group. SV dropped an EP after this titled Best Kept Secret, right? But that was the final project with Dilla on the lineup. And T3 said... After the lukewarm success of Volume 2, that's when Dilla decided to do his own thing because he already had a deal in place at MCA. He said, I'm going to do my thing, my own thing. You should keep it going. So that's what we did. Now, just a pause or like just a subjective thing. I've watched a lot of interviews with T3, right, talking about Dilla. And I'm not going to say it's resentment, 
on the side of T3 because I don't think it is. I think T3 is a very humble person and he doesn't take credit and he doesn't get emotional over things I think he should. But he basically said that Dilla was his own thing. Like Dilla, you know, was very rich while they were still very poor. He said that they were like, you know, struggling check to check whilst Dilla was like in clubs flossing. And he said... Yeah, D- and Dilla's the sun. Dilla's the sun. And there are, you know, some village is just another planet in the orbit. Yes. Yes, yes, that's Objectively. a good point. That's a good Objectively. point. That's a good point. Um, so Dilla kind of, I wouldn't say he, like, Slum Village was something he came back to. And the way that I describe it later on is Slum Village was a home for Jay Dilla because he could always yeah. come back to it. It wasn't a house, you know, it wasn't a place that he temporarily yeah. stayed in. Mm-hmm. It was his home. And that's mm. why I think Slum Village was so important to Jay Dilla. Um but we'll get to that as as we progress. But we get Trinity the next, which is the first post Dilla project. Yes, and uh, you know has the. But even even when I say it has you know majority J Dilla work right Pro, uh, production. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know even though he's left, he's still there. <laughs> he's still there. Yeah. Um, he's still technically there, and uh, you know, and obviously this is the first edition of Elzai who uh, uh, features from this to I think uh, Manavet. Manavet um, Manifesto, mm-hmm. uh, Villain Manifesto, um, and yeah, so you know Trinity. Um, I feel uh, you know it's 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 cool, um, and I feel like the non jaded production tries to be jaded production, and it feels weird to me um, of, of how of how some of it comes across. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't mind this album uh, too, too hard. Um, I don't think it's Metacritic fifty nine out of a hundred bad. Um, you know, I don't think it's that you know terrible. I think it's fine. Uh, and I kind of feel like this. I, I feel honestly the same with uh, pretty much the rest of the Elzai era. Um, and I kind of want to bunch you up as that. Uh, feel free to pick what. <coughs> feel free to pick what albums you want. Um, but you know, you know, you have the Detroit Deli as well, um, which has that like you know selfish show with you know Kanye West on that one, John Legend, right? And I like the, I like the, uh, I like that particular album um, from the features as well. Uh, you know, old old girl shining star and Melanie Rutherford, and also keep holding on is great. I love those two, and that's majority um, that's majority Black Milk uh, production as well. Um, it says BR Gunner on Wikipedia, but it goes to Black Milk, so whatever. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's so, it's so interesting, um, you know, uh, going, going across that and going across the era as well, you know, it's obviously, this is a space of 20, 2002 to 2010, um, and, uh, you know, a lot of things change, I guess, obviously in between that, you have, you know, the death of Dilla and the death of Barton as well, Barton leaving, Jay Dilla leaving early on, um, so there's a lot of fluctuation here. And, you know, well, shout out to T3 one time, man, because, you know, dude is low-key the glue mm-hmm. here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's, he's kept the, he's kept everything, he's kept the whole SV thing going from, you know, from then, from the start to now. Um, he's, he's, <laughs> while some village has been a planet in Jay Dilla's orbit, um, how would I word uh, T3? T3 has been the, uh has been i guess the earth's core of the of oh, I, don't, I don't know the core of uh, the of some village planet right let's, let's say that yeah I'll, I'll think that works in the in the planetary imagery i'm trying to give um you know trinity was 
somehow the uh, uh the best uh, charting album uh out of the four here i feel like my favorite is villa manifesto actually if i'm if we're gonna be honest um i i i love the features on here uh, you got scheming with uh pos uh fife uh jay dillers on there <clears throat> you have crisis and young rj on the uh, bear witness beat Pff, banger um young rj actually comes through on his own i, th- I feel like production wise here um, I feel like it's very nicely produced, um, very tight. It's 46 minutes. It's a very solid album. Um, you've got Little Brother and Where Do We Go From Here. Amazing uh, amazing uh, album, amazing song there. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, Don't Fight the Feeling. Don't Fight the Feeling in Daylight is seven minutes and it's very interesting for me because it's really, a, it is literally the tale of two songs for me. Um, it goes from Don't Fight the Feeling, which is absolutely beautiful song. And then it goes to Daylight where it's just like this, um, I've, I've, I forget how I forget how <laughs> I forget what it was, but there was something about it. Um, it's just it just completely takes you out of everything that Slumbridge has ever done. That's literally how I can describe it. It's it's so different, um, and I don't I wouldn't say in a good way. I feel like it's just very out of the ordinary. Uh, it just comes out there for whatever reason, um, and kind of just sits on a really good track, which is Doe Fi the Feeling. Um, so I don't know about that. I don't know how I feel about it. Um, and then 2000 Beyond with uh, Quest Love and Jay Dill is uh, great as well. But yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a weird foursome. It's a, it's a really weird foursome. Um, I do feel, genuinely feel Elzai um, does very well in, I, uh, I think, keeping a <coughs> keeping an essence um, that Bartin and uh, Bartin especially took with him. Um, I'm not saying because um, uh, I <laughs> you said you said earlier um, earlier in the week that um, Elzai tried to uh, sounds a bit like Eminem early Eminem, but I was, but the th- first thing that came across for me was um, Barton sounds like uh, like a Q-tip in a, in, mm. in just vocally it sounds it's a little sounds bit like yeah. Q-tip, but just yeah. a little bit not like you know not like ripping, but it just sounds like uh, it just sounds a bit like. Q-tip in that fashion. That's really weird. But um, you know, Elzai does really well. I think throughout um this particular era, um, you know, people call it the Elzai era, and that's I feel like there's um giving him a lot of credit in in saying and calling it an era. But I guess why I know why people say that. But you know, Young RJ comes into his own. I feel by the end of it, um, he you know handles uh, production majority uh, in the majority. Um, you know, Black Milk as well. Um, I feel like is the uh, the unofficial member in of some village in the way that Buster Rhymes is an unofficial member of Tribe. I I like that. Um, shout to Black Milk. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting four. Um, it's not. I feel like Villa Manifesto is Percy for me the best album out of the four. Um, but yeah, so so it goes from you know Barack to Capitol Records and then back to Barack and then E One Records, wherever that is. Um. Hey, E1, uh, man. This is oh, Entertainment One. Classic oh, indie right. record label. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, 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 I know Bunn. Entertainment One, but I never heard about E1. <laughs> yeah, sh- <laughs> yeah, shout out to Joe Bonin, I guess. <laughs> just just throw in, just more Detroit. Let's just, let's just name Detroit stuff. Joe Bonin. <laughs> uh, Jalen Rose. Um, Joe Bonin. Joe Bonin, Michigan Jersey. Wilson. Sorry. I'm, I'm tripping. Um, who was I thinking of? I'm tripping. Anyway. I've lost him. Continue on. <laughs> That's cool. Oh, East Harlem, apparently. But I thought he was uh, New Jersey. But anyway. Um, yeah, I know. I was thinking of Sinus. Trinity, Trinity, Trinity. Uh, I think you were thinking Slaughterhouse. 
Um, Slaughterhouse. Mm, mm. Who who was in Slaughterhouse? Was oh Royce. Yeah. Royce. Royce. Was anyone else yeah, in Slaughterhouse? Was Joel from? Uh, that's a Detroit? great. That's a great question. Because I've always thought of him. I've always thought of him as a Detroit thing. That's why. And then I forgot that Joe Budden actually doesn't come from <laughs> Detroit. Joe, but I've always Joe, thought of Slaughterhouse as a uh, as a, a Detroit based. Uh, Joel's in New York and um, Crook is is Long Beach, so they're all over the place. Yeah, so. yeah it's a New York thing, but I don't know. I guess oh, whatever. Anyway. Royce, Royce and M. Um, yeah. So Trinity first post deal project, uh, first on a major label. It went number twenty on the Billboard two hundred, easily their highest. Savage by critics, as Charlie said, fifty nine on Metacritic. I don't understand that. Um, because it tries uh, to sound like a Jay Dillon album, but when Jay Dillon's on it, it just sounds weird. I don't know. No, it's but see, that, that I don't, essence. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. And that's the thing yeah. I think about uh, SV that I'm going to talk about right at the end: the consistency and whether you consider that to be just stagnation. Oh yeah, or... it's not bad. Nothing's bad here. You know what I mean? Like, nothing's trash. I don't think. But mm. yeah, continue. Well, Elzai was like being that managed. Silence is disagreement. There, well, there might be at the end, but we, we'll get to it. But T three t- uh, told rap reviews in two thousand four that he was managing Elzai and that they decided to bring him in. So it was a very simple process to bring him in. Elzai actually did a huge interview with MV Remix, and um, he talked about the past, present, and the future. He says we have our past songs in the album like Tainted, which represents the past Slum Village from Fantastic Volume Two. Then we have the right. present version of Slum Village, which is more like hip hop yep. club songs. Good example yep. is like Raise It Up. I don't want to yep. scare the old SV heads by saying hip hop club, but it's definitely Slum Village. <laughs> the future yeah. side is more alternative side to SV. We call it Euro Soul. It's broken up into three musical genres. We as MCs also play a role in the Trinity. Barton is the pre- past, T3 mm-hmm. is the present, and I am the future. I think, yeah, as Charlie said, this album is hampered by the lack of Diller, but I don't think it's because the quality drastically dips. But if you remove a legend and don't replace him with a legend, the backlash will be instantaneous. I think it's a solid album that introduced the world to the Elzai era. Uh, what it is, Tainted, what is this, sorry, and Tainted show that they have a lot of talent as songwriters. The beats still hit hard. Um, Questlove. Questlove pops up here. And as I, I wrote here, they, mm-hmm. they can just keep the sex stuff. I'm not interested in that at all. <laughs> but Questlove said, without SV, he wouldn't be doing music. And he also said he adores this record. So there's praise uh, for it. I'm not necessarily sure how that works since Organics came out in 93 and SV weren't really known until the mid 90s but anyway i'm not going to question quest love at all but like you know he actually said that about sv then detroit delhi and turmoil was enveloping slum village and that's why i'm going to give t3 a lot of praise at the end um t3 and elza are the only two members on the cover because barn had left the group just prior uh and it even went as far as the song reunion was meant to have all four original members rapping sorry all four members rapping on it and the three original members but barn was present uh, sorry, absent, not present. And T3 said, me and Elzai already had our verses. Then Dilla did his uh, Rep Mode D, then, then 12 M&M's verse down. Then Elzai said, you know what? I'm going to keep it real. I'm going to tell people what really happened with Barton because they're looking at us like T3 kicked Barton out. I didn't kick him out. He left the group. Elzai wanted to mm. tell the truth and he did it. 
That's when he put his unlawful demons verse down. He called Barton maybe a week after he did it and was still asking him to get on the song, but Barton never did. It was supposed to be four of us, but Barton was going through his whole struggle. I'm kind of mad that we never got to make a reunion LP because me and Dilla always talked about doing it. It's kind of upsetting that we didn't get to close the Slum Village chapter like that. So that was actually shortly after Dilla passed when T3 said that. And Elzai said in an interview that it was really odd without Barton, but they had to do it. You had to put the work in, you know. And there's a 2007 interview with Barton entitled Lean and Sober, which details the time Barton left the group. And they were actually on tour in Paris in 03. And Barton was mentally unwell and his skin started to break out. So he came home. After recovering, he then had another incident at a venue in Detroit and the police were called and he actually spent three days in jail. He was then evicted from his house, which began fueling his depression. And sadly, after that Detroit State Theatre performance, he lost things and he was unable to continue in the group. And he said in an interview, it's it's harrowing, he said, I started chasing cars and shit down Six Mile. My mother called the police. They took me to Detroit receiving hospital and strapped me down. And he began smoking crack, living homeless, really, really struggling. He would return to the fold in 2008 after cleaning up, but after a couple of months, he began struggling again and he passed away and his death was ruled accidental overdose from cocaine toxicity. And that was, you know, this album came out at the beginning of that tragedy. It came out amongst a haze of genuine upheaval. Um, mm. And, you know, the record is famous, of course, for having Kanye West and John Legend on the uh, on Selfish, which is a great song. Um, but you know, it kind of bleeds into Slum Village, which is a weird album. You know, self-titled, it's a weird album. Like, Young RJ really stepped up on this record, multiple production credits. This album is, of course, famous for the Chevy commercial, which included the song Easy Up. As I said, um, it was some people we knew, and basically we gave the music to them in a proposal. When they heard our single, they were loving it. They wanted to do a group that wasn't already established and big. That I find that interesting. They all then also we also have the Detroit Elzai Slum Village uh, being from here and being the Motor City in the end. I think it was more so the music though. Now this album was independent again. They left Capital uh, because Elzai said they wanted to recap their recapture their original fan base. Um, and again, this is this is another side of Slum Village. This is probably the beginning of what you call the Slum Village ecosystem. It's a term they're often given relating to the number of careers that were spawned from SV. Uh, Elzai is one. Uh, Dwele is one. Um, you know, it's good. It's a good project. Uh, yeah. I love Set It. I think that's probably one of my favorite SV songs. It beat is wild. I love 05. The horn sample is amazing. And then, you know, we get to Villa Manifesto. If you want to talk about that and you want to run through that in Evolution or, yeah. Um. Well, I talked about Villa Manifesto is my favorite. Oh yeah, um, and uh, you know that's that's briefly just like yeah. I feel I feel like that's my favorite album. Uh, Alf, most of them I feel. Uh, not to try and rank it all, but uh, yeah, you know, past that, uh, and there's a good tidbit um, about how uh, Barton actually reunited with T Three and Elzai and helped work on uh, Villa Manifesto. Uh, which is very fascinating. Um, but, yeah, uh, past that, I think, uh, you know, there's only so many times you can revolve the door. Uh, and obviously this door has revolved a hell of a lot. 
uh, as it pertains to this group. Um, it's kind of crazy to think about, but uh, yeah, you know, I think past Villa Manifesto kind of just gets to a place where I'm not really sure what it's supposed to be. You know, again, with respect to Young RJ, on, uh, especially on Evolution, you know, it's, it's, he does fine production, but it's, it's just fine. Um, I will say, though, um, it's not bad an album. It I, 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 it, it feels kind of forgettable for me. I don't know why, but it just feel, it's just one of those things. Um, but then with that said, you know, Let It Go with Blue, bangs, that's crazy. Blue just goes off there. Um, uh, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Past that, I just don't really... I I I I have these tracks here, and I'm just like, mm, you know, that's cool, that's cool, that's I, it's cool, you know, past that, and um, <clears throat> you know, you get yes in 2015, which um, is very fascinating because it comes across as like a, <laughs> it's like a half compilation, uh, album, which is is so weird because you have Jay Diller production is back, the Jay Diller production's back, yay, right, and a lot of and there's a note uh. Bloody hell! I'm clicking like a madman. Um, there's notes um, here saying uh, uh, Jay Diller actually um, Diller and Barton was this was this is like mid '90s their shit, right? So it comes across. It has that essence. It does have that uh, that mid '90s essence, which is cool. Um, it's great. I'm here for that. But it just comes across as literally like a um, a reunite a reuniting album that could have been i guess it's like here's here's what the here's what we could have done if we reunited in 2000 and whatever um that's basically what i get from that album and with that said it's not bad it's not bad either i don't mind this it's it's fine uh right back with de la soul um it's cool uh fantastic love is with uh bilal and illa jay's very uh, very uh, nice i like that one uh push it along with five dog i feel like i've heard that somewhere else am i am i tripping which one? I've, I've, push it along with Five Dog. Uh, push it along. It's, it sounds. I feel like, I feel like I hear Buster Rhymes there, but I forget what track it is. Like I, I swear Buster Rhymes did something of that nature or was on a truck of. The, oh, okay. So it contains a sample of Push It Along by Tribal Quest. There we go. That that was tripping the fuck out of me. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. Mm. So they literally. So literally, it, 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 yes, is very fascinating. It's, it's like a. It's like a melting pot. Of everything, Slum Village was was and was supposed to be, and it kind of feels bittersweet in that fashion, where it's just like, this is a good album, but I feel like if everyone was there, it would have been so so much better. You know what I mean? And it just, I don't know. It, it's just it's 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 very it's it's bittersweet. I'll just say that it's bittersweet. Um. I don't have much uh, for the last album, um, Volume Zero. Um, it's like under half an hour. Uh, the first track is like "To You For You" again, and I'm just and it and it kind of gets back to it, well, it doesn't get back to anything because I haven't said it yet. But um, something that really jars me about this whole or, or about this whole uh, thing is just how disorganized their their Spotify pages. Not not this is just a very tangential personal thing for me clean that shit up please it's so i don't know what what a bootleg if they're all if the other shit are bootlegs or like it's just it's so disorganized it's jarring to me so just as a subjective note um yeah just someone needs to clean up i don't know who but someone needs to clean up it's just it's 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 making me sad just every time every time i look at it it's just like very unorganized and uh, it's very hard to gather 
But anyway, um, yeah, so, you know, Volume Zero, I don't really have much on that fashion. Um, it's, uh, it's incredibly short. Um, it kind of feels like just B-sides um, from some from another time. Uh, it kind of has that yes element where it's just, um, it feels like stuff from way back and they just picked out and threw it, you know, just went in the vault basically and just uh, found this stuff, uh, which is fine, I guess, you know, more the merry, I guess. But um, yeah, it's, just, it's not all that, but um, you know. Yeah, uh, I guess a uh, mid uh, t- 2010 Slum Village was kind of just like uh, let's just hit let's just hit him with some throwbacks, you know what I mean? Um, which I'm not complaining about, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean it's hard to really. I mean, like Elzai left in 2010, so he left after Villa Manifesto, and uh, he actually said it was R.J. Rice who uh, was the one that wanted to kick Elzai out of the group. He said. Uh, most definitely RJ Rice. I mean, RJ Rice is the poison in Slum Village. He's the one that is steering Slum Village down the direction that everyone is not feeling just because he's not being a legitimate, genuine businessman. Um, allegedly, T3 actually took half of Elzai's verses off the previous record. Elzai alleges it was RJ Rice who wanted the verses off, and then T3 took them off for him. And Elzai said, but they had a plan to try and phase me out of the group. The plan was called Brand SV, and Brand SV was basically them trying to brand the name Slum Village and saying that members can come and go as they please. Now, T3 mentions this a few times in interviews. I do want to touch on that at the end. Um, You know, I'm not going to say much about the quality of these records. Uh, They're pretty standard. Like, they're, they're not bad. They're not great. They're pretty standard. You know, when we get to Yes, 10 of the 13 tracks have dealer production. Illa J took a stronger role on this record too, I felt, on Yes. Um, it's a solid record. I think all the guests are amazing. The John Connor song is is really great. Mm. Um, volume Zero, obviously, hard to say much about this. Look, there's not much of a narrative that runs through these albums, but I do want to just clean it up because I want to say... What is Go Jay Dilla without Slum Village and what is Slum Village without Jay Dilla? And I think yeah, the answer to, to that question. question, but I think the answer to that question points to the importance each other was to the other's career. You know, I think that Jay Dilla would have been Jay Dilla um, without Slum Village. Sure. Would Slum Village yeah. have been Slum Village without Jay Dilla? Probably not. But I think it's way deeper than that because I don't think success or importance is necessarily about record deals and commercial success. I think Jay no. Dilla got a lot out of SV. Uh, everywhere else he went, he was at this time, he was collaborating with artists bigger than he was. You know, Tribe, Farside, Buster. These were established yep. names. I'm not saying that Dilla wasn't like a fucking legend and, and a genius, yep. but there's yep. a different kind of rigidity that comes with major mainstream success. There's an established yep. sound to all of these artists he was working with, whereas SV was entirely open. It could be anything they wanted it to be. You know, it began off soulful, but it moved towards more hardcore beats as Dilla's desires progressed and his artistry progressed. I think SV was crucial to Dilla's work ethic, his passion, and his experimental streak. And I think without SV, Dilla probably would have found a house, but maybe not a home, you know? And I think SV was his home. He could always come back when he needed. And I think that spills into the brand of SV. Because it existed long after Dilla left. Long, long, long after Dilla left. There are albums with no Dilla whatsoever on them. It was strong enough to survive. And I think 
T3 is slow in taking credit for the dedicated sound he created and propelled, and he's been asked mm. numerous times in interviews how SV kept the, the same sound. And they did. They kept the same sound with a lot of lineup changes. And he yep. passes it off as just being like the SV DNA. But that's a <laughs> DNA that he had to carry with him the whole way through. He had yep. to carry that. And it's just him and young RJ now. But, you know, it was him and Barton. Then it was him and JD. Then him and Barton and Elzai. Then him and Elzai. Then him and Elzai and Illa J. Then just him and Illa J. Now it's him and young RJ. Like... That's a wild amount. As Charlie said with Farside, you know, like that kind of rolling roster or that maybe a digital underground kind of rolling roster yeah, with like yeah. one focal point. And, you know, if we go back to what would SV be without JD, probably the same as Elzai would have been without SV or maybe Royce without Eminem. Uh, you know, SV mm. with Barton and T3 were, they were too good not to find a house, right? And a decent looking one, but maybe not the home that SV became. And I think those three caught lightning in a bottle so effective that it shaped the sound of Detroit music. Rappers sounded like T3. Producers sounded like JD. And I don't necessarily see their consistency as complacency or rigidity. I see it as resilience. You know, they kept the sound alive, almost like a perfectly preserved artifact that still sounded the same in 2015 with wildly different roster as it did in 95. And that's a rarity. That requires protection and love. And I think T3 has shown that. And I think we'd see a different Jay Diller if not for SV. I'm sure he wouldn't be any less of a genius, but there might be something missing. And I think that's high praise. As for the music itself, it's not necessarily for me. I really love their first two projects. I really, really do. And I think there's something on every project. There's like bangers, There's, but it's just the content doesn't, I don't like the content. I don't like the overtly sexual stuff. Like, I know it's a bit of a running joke, but I really don't fuck with it. Like, I really, it really, I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. So I think um, I think the music is really good. It's really consistent. And I think SV are an incredibly influential group, um, but they're not necessarily one of my favorite groups, uh, just, just content-wise. Since you answered the question very simply, I'll move on to something else uh, that I just thought about while you were talking. And I think it's the value, this is a perfect example in the value of collaboration and the value of the people you have around you creatively. Um, you know, when we're talking about AZ, you know, we reference, you know, Nas a lot, right? Because obviously, obvious reasons, right? <clears throat> and when you you always have to when we always talk about these guys uh, and, and 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 girls as well when you always talk about the people around we always talk we always mention the people around artist subject right when we talk about missy you mentioned we have to mention timberland right um and that's not a bad thing right none of these things are bad things right it's more about a for be- it's a it's a for better for worse kind of deal right individual uh, from a case by case but it's also just like genuinely a look into the value of collaboration and the value of of who you have around you so you know you talk about Dilla and the amount of just people he had uh on speed dial when I don't think speed dial did speed dial exist in the 90s I'm not sure but yeah uh, absolutely it did did it okay good 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 just (laughs) just checking um so you know when, when he has like you know q-tip on speed dial right and all these you know basically legends already at that point on speed dial right 
that gives a lot of um, that gives a lot of uh, credit to uh, cultural credit to someone like a Jay Diller, right? And then you have someone like T Three, who clearly, I guess, is very um, humble, right? I guess uh, maybe too humble, right? In his place, uh, in where he is. And uh, if anything, I want to just give flowers to someone like T3 that managed to keep something going regardless of how many people came and went. Um, you know, <clears throat> the, 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 I've not I've not experienced it at that kind of level, but you know, there's always times when you know, even actually, this is a great point. This, this is a universal. Um, I, I'll make this universal, okay? Um, and hopefully, get back to the collaboration point. Hopefully, it all. It, hopefully, this all umbrellas in the collaboration point so for you guys in, uh, in you know if you close your eyes so you know you know when you have friends like when you when you're growing up right and you know you, you just have a, you just have a, a nice solid squad right a nice solid squad of like let's say five right you know you you're you're all just going to each other's houses you know what i mean and just like uh, you know just just kicking it and you're going out and you grow up together right and uh, you're just all squad right and then a couple of you dip off to uni, and then a couple of you, you know, just jump into, you know, regular work, right? And, you know, that starts to splinter, right? And then you suddenly realize that uh, you're squad with one particular person, and you're cool with the rest of them, but you're really tight with one particular person, right? Um, that's, that's me, that, that's, I'm, I'm going from a personal perspective right, right now, because there's a guy, there's, you know, I have, I have people that I, you know, that I rate, right, and, uh, if, if they asked, do you want to hang out, you know, I'll be there, like, with them and several other people, right, in a group chat, fine, but there, but there's one guy that I'm just always talking to, right, and the rest of them I talk to now and again, and that's, is what it is. Coming back to this, it's kind of like, it's kind of like that, where you're that one person that manages to uh, keep doing what you're doing, um, and regardless if, you know, some, regardless of how many people shape what you're doing, you stay, I guess, you, you, you keep that humble attitude, and you stay, I guess, I guess grateful in, in some ways, right, that you are still keeping it going whatever that thing is, whether it's a friendship or a music group, right, um, hopefully that tracks, I'm not really sure if that tracks, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's loose, there's something there, I know there's something there, but, um, yeah, it's loose, but, yeah, the value of collaboration is so, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, weaves and is undercurrent throughout most of our retrospectives, I feel like, um, that I've just gleaned from it, and uh, it, do, it, do, it it comes across so well in something like Slum Village, where you have that one person that's in the middle, but you have also another person who's so instrumental to this side of hip-hop, like, bro, I listen to Fantastic, and I'm just like, fuck me, man, this Soul, that Soul Quarians album really could have been something, like, I really, I, I, it it just it just reminds me of like other th- other stuff happening around that time where I'm just like damn we could have had this we could have had this right and yeah it's just it's a it's a it's a nice it's an interesting snapshot um, in time um, in a lot of the in a lot of cases in people's in certain people's careers such as Jay Dillers but also in like hip hop uh, the hip hop landscape at that point so um, 
but it all comes across it and they all and a lot of these people just cross each other's paths and uh, i love that i love that essence of you know that that essence of collaboration that people just come through and hey i worked with tribe i'll also i'll also work with you says buster rhymes you know what i mean um I, hi, I'm John Legend. I I'm kind of unknown at this point, but you're gonna know me. Um, let's work together. Like, hey, I got a co-sign from Kanye. There you go. That's it. And there you go. That's boom. So, and we're not gonna do a John Legend retrospective anytime soon. But you know, that's that's kind of interesting in in how that in his particular timeline of where that is. So, uh, anyway, uh, I'm rambling, but yeah, it's a value of collaboration and um, and just uh, consistency as well. Um, it's 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 the the two things I just uh really try and take hold of and uh think about uh regularly um I personally still, but yeah I agree with everything you said and I still haven't I know we did an episode on it and the, just the idea of like why groups like Slum Village or Farside or Digital Underground or even Outcast or Tribe I mean I know Tribe stay together but they broke up after like what you know. 10 years 10 years why or so, yeah. bands rock bands are still touring with the same lineup 40 years later but why that's not very common in hip-hop like i just am still wondering why that is the case and i don't necessarily know i have an answer for that let's make this a light note because i feel like you can answer this question and I'll, I'll i'll push you towards it um if hopefully and hopefully this finds an answer for you um, when you, re- when you, when you think of certain rock bands, right, um, and I'm asking you because you're aware and I'm not, when you think of uh, certain rock bands, do you see their work, um, as, as a continuous evolution of like, you know, of a, of a, a, a continuous creative evolution or do you recognize when said band, uh, kind of just sits there and just like yeah, yeah, we're in a good place. I feel like we can do this for another ten years. Uh, or on top of that, maybe it's simply because um, audiences allow it, allow mm. that stagnation to the point where you can just um, be that band that tours for fifty years. You know, maybe maybe, it's that, maybe that's the case. Well, I think it's. I think it has heavily to do with. Like, I think it has heavily to do with relevance and scope. Like, for an example, uh, Placebo, you know, they were huge in the the mid to late 90s and early 2000s, right? And they did a reunion tour in 2018. Not a reunion, sorry, an um, anniversary tour. And they were playing, like, sold-out venues all over Europe. And they were playing songs from their first three albums. Like, that was basically what they were doing it wasn't necessarily anything to do with their new stuff. Now, they have progressed as a band, and I do see this with most bands will progress. They will artistically change. More than Slum Village has changed their sound, I would say most bands aren't going to just find one sound and stick to it, and they get they get kind of hammered when they do that. But it very seems to me okay. to be the tendency that people are not really fucking with the new stuff as much there's a classic song by uh, regurgitator which is an australian band and it's called i like your old stuff better than your new stuff and it's basically that's a very common trope in rock music it's like 
we don't give, and it's, it is a funny thing. Like it's genuinely a funny thing. Like we don't give a fuck about the new stuff. There's always like a collective groan when they go, all right, now we're going to play some stuff off our new album. And everyone's like, oh no, not the new album. Play the old shit. And so I think it's different with regards to hip hop where we haven't had that experience of like, and we know we, we've done Moni Love. We've done like MC Light, we know that these artists are still able to tour, but they're not touring sold out fucking venues, like massive venues. They're they're doing club tours and they're doing smaller venues. So there's not that like uh, environment where like legends like, you know, NWA are coming back together or, um, you know, Public Enemy are touring to, you know, stadiums and sold out shows the way Rolling Stone are. And I think that that, kind of breeds a bit of a like running theme of like well this isn't necessarily we need to keep evolving we need to keep progressing we need to keep changing artistically we need to keep capturing a new audience because our old audience is not going to be enough to carry us through live performances for you know 10 to 15 to 20 years and that's not true of rock bands at all the thing that rock bands actually seem to have to go through is the opposite where rap acts and hip-hop acts seem to need to evolve in order to capture that new audience rock acts want to evolve in my experience but they don't want to piss their old fans off so it's this hard bit of like thing and like we look at artists like tyler or kanye who have like constantly reinvented themselves earl is an example and we champion them as like genuinely amazing that they've done that um, mm. But there's very rare examples of that in rock. You know, you look at someone like Radiohead uh, as an example, but like it's not common for bands to just constantly reinvent themselves and continue to capture new audiences. It's more about retaining an older audience. So I think that's where the disconnect is. Okay. That was not the answer I expected, but that was good. That was depth. I like that. That was deep. Um, yeah. I, I wonder wanna, how I wanna, we foster I wanna, that. I wanna, I want, I want to sit. I want to sit on that. Honestly, I want to sit yeah. on that for a minute, for a bit, because I, yeah, um, I, I want, I want to, I want to sit back and listen and, uh, and think about it some more, because that was that was very fascinating. Because I really got the, I don't know, I just felt like it would be you, you'd have a different answer, but um, that kind of, yeah, that threw me off. I was, in, but it's interesting though. It's really interesting, and I feel like we haven't got an answer yet. But you've got something there. But um, yeah, it's definitely worth some more thought. Maybe it bites sometime down the road. That bites. Maybe write write it down if you want to actually do it because we keep we keep saying we're going to do something for a bias topic and then actually completely forget. Like uh, yeah, we, we we, guys behind the scenes, we were supposed to do um, the pitchfork thing. Uh, yeah, the, uh, of the, of the, I wanted to do that. We're not too. doing it. We're not doing it now. We're not doing it now. We're not doing it right now. Don't, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we no, were going right to do now, it, no. but we totally forgot uh, to yeah. do it. And then we did the bias episode. And we we're just like, and then I hit Ben up. I was like. Oh, we were supposed to do the Pitchfork thing, remember? Like, I mean, so we were supposed to shit on Pitchfork is really what we yeah, planned ben to wanted, do. Sorry, sorry, I'll reword it. Ben wanted 10 minutes to shit on Pitchfork, basically. <laughs> he wanted to go through every single re-rating and, <laughs> uh, and, sh- and, and give them 1 to 10 shits. That's basically... Uh, one to ten uh, pile, one, one to ten reels of shit. That's basically. Who what woke up that morning and is like, you know what? Fuck big boy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop his review by one point five. Who did that? Who woke up and thought, you know what? I'm gonna fuck with big boy today. 
Just go back to bed if you have that thought. That's not a thought you need to pursue. That's a... Oh, Danny. And we'll approach that sometime next year in January when we do a bites topic eventually. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll shall finish there from the Fifth and Podcast. Network. This has been Diggy Digits. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'm a child tale of the Fifth Element. Happy Ben Cara for pop numbers. We're gonna. We might be doing Elzai next week, uh, give or take. Uh, I feel like he'll be good, uh, just to have some c- continuity. And I, I'm, i listening to some Elzai all of a sudden, yeah. Because and I feel like uh, we need to get down, down, down to the bottom of how the fuck he was able to do, yeah, uh, Detroit State of Mind and how be and and for that to be legal. Um, on Spotify, makes yeah, sense. That, need to need to need to get down to the bottom of that. Anyway, yeah. So that's next week. But for now. Hope you all have a good week. We shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy. There's a jump. All right, peace. Digging in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show, speech video games, but bonus points. Thanks to your records for a bit of use. Socials for the fifth element, hip hop by numbers, bonus points, and chill breakers been a full show notes for everybody listening. This has been a fifth element podcast and production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time. Digging in the digits.